welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Today I'm with Harold Hardaway, CEO of Cardigan, where they're cultivating brands that inspire employees. Welcome to the show, Harold. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Well, I wanted to start off by hearing a little bit about your your history. I'm always fascinated by how facilitators find their way to their roles because, let's just face it, there's no degree at any college where you go become a facilitator. So there's always a fascinating journey. And especially when we're looking at all these different silos and different methodologies, people come from totally different worlds. So I'm really curious to hear how you got here. Yeah, I probably stumbled into it like most people, like you were saying. Uh, So no degrees here to kind of get there. So when I first started out my career, I worked at a mortgage bank and they didn't have a training department, right? Uh, it was a new division. And so in the absence with no one raising their hand to develop training, I raised my hand and I was a trainer for that particular group. And so I think through that, you know, I kind of learned how to explain things two, three different ways to someone. At the same time, I was in a group with business analysts. And through that process, they were working on developing systems. And then I would have to sort of train the system. But I would be in the room when they would start working on, you know, what that was going to look like, how it was going to operate. And so being able to really translate how the business was using the tool versus how they were designing it. So between the business and IT and translating there, uh, being able to speak both languages really helped a lot. After that, I worked at a large grocery retailer here in Texas. So I'm sure everyone can probably guess who that is in the IT department. And HR was my customer. So you can imagine with developing technology with them, there was a lot of translation needed. Like, I want this. And then IT saying, well, we can't necessarily do that. And it's like, well, what they're really asking for is this, right? And can you live with this? Because I think, you know, it'll still get you the business outcomes that you want. And so being able to, you know, hear both sides and translate and help them negotiate an 80 or a 90% solution was really important. And then, you know, once I got taken off of HR technology, um, HR just kind of hired me to go work in that department. And through the rest of my career, there was a lot of um, translating and taking big ideas, which is how I ended up in communications, right? Taking big ideas and being able to kind of translate that down and then navigate people through a process to get to a business outcome. So honestly, most of the times it's because someone didn't raise their hand and in that space I did and figured out give it a shot and I learned a lot and you know ended up facilitating. I also am a little bit of a ham and an extrovert and I don't mind being up front. We talked about that a little bit, you know, the importance of being this unbiased third party that's kind of coming in and, and helping the team be the heroes. But there is still an element of performance. You have to you have to prepare, be on your game, get up there. And even if you're kind of stepping off to the side a bit at times or a lot at times, there is still that moment of like, hey, the show the show's on and I gotta gotta be there. And and before we started recording, you were mentioning that you had 
some experience in stand-up comedy, etc. And so just curious to hear how those experiences have related, if you've actually dipped into any of that when you've been planning sessions. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of times, you know, when you're up there, no one wants a boring facilitator, right? It's about being effective. It's about getting their goals accomplished. But if someone's going to be in a room with you for four, two, eight hours, you know, to an extent, it would be nice if you can entertain. So way back when I kind of was living in Dallas, it was this mortgage banking crisis and they laid off all support functions. So like 600 of us kind of in one day. And in that space, I was like, what are some things I've always wanted to try? And it was like stand-up comedy. Um, so I did that. Um, actually got paid to do it. So I am a paid stand-up comedian. It was just a hundred bucks, but I'll take it and I'll claim it <laughs> any day of the week. But I think what that really allows me to do is pay attention to what's happening. Timing, you know, is important to kind of like lay down the joke. And I think timing is also really important when it comes to facilitation, right? So when are you quiet? When do you give space? When do you step in and say something? Also listening to what other people are saying and how do you bring things back around? So part of a comedy, right? You'll say something and then you'll navigate people through a process and then you bring the joke back around and then it hits harder the second time because, you know, people kind of feel it. So with facilitation, you know, a lot of you'll set something up at the beginning and then you'll kind of have hopefully this full circle moment where like the light bulb goes off for everyone. So I think not being afraid to be in front of people, some comedic timing, understanding sort of that cycle of bringing things back and helping people kind of uh, understand and the light bulb goes off helps a lot when it comes to facilitating. So I want to double, double stitch on that, yeah. uh, bring things back, because you, you talked about in the pre-show kind of prep conversation, you talked about this notion of kind of cultural inside jokes or, you know, the words they use or getting, getting to know them. And so I thought that was really, really neat. And how can I not only come in as an unbiased outsider and, and be that person that doesn't necessarily have any stake in this decision so that I'm not going to influence it, but at the same time, how can I be a friend, an ally, kind of fit in so that everyone feels comfortable and vulnerable, right? And so how much does that kind of bring in it back, the timing, the, the improv, comedy stuff align with that ability to kind of like dissect the culture and then imbibe that into the experience? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think they're equally important, right? So timing is huge, but also you know, if you're an outsider, you need people to trust you. To your point, you need them to open up. You need them to be vulnerable. So ingratiation is actually kind of an impression management technique. You know, so part of it is um, I, I'm also a, a, you know, a teacher at some of the universities. So you'll hear some, some nerdy stuff kind of come out of my, my mouth every once in a while. But how can I ingratiate myself to someone quickly so I can do it with a smile? You know, I might be able to say, oh, look, I've done this for so many people. But at the same time to say, hey, I did my homework and I, I know a little bit about you. I know the words that you use. I know what's important to you. It makes people think, oh, wow. And you, know, and you can see it in their face where they start paying a little bit more attention. So an example of that, I had a facilitation. I was actually speaking, just speaking, but it was a little bit of like some workshop fun activities in there. And so I was like, well, you know, give me three. We were talking about personal brand. Give me three words you know, that you would say describe who you are. Or someone would say, that Harold, he's blank, blank, and blank. How would you want them to fill that in, right, in terms of personal brand? And they had this whole thing called more. They were like, well, if we were to do more, you know, and so I said, 
I'm asking you for three, but if you'd like to do more, you could do four, right? And everyone in the room burst out laughing and thought it was the funniest thing ever. But it's just because I asked, like, what are some things you say culturally? What are some things that you do? What are the inside jokes? And if they're, you know, what are you working on? What's important in terms of an initiative? You know, like, um, if you'll share some of the last emails that have gone out, if you want to, then I can kind of work all that in. And so it doesn't feel so much like an outsider, but a continuation of where the organization, you know, is really headed. And so that was um, just kind of a, a fun example that I always sticks out in my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I love this notion of um, not only adding levity to the situation, but also getting people to really resonate with these broader themes and these you know, broader objectives or how does it tie back to whatever the, the business outcomes are. And you mentioned the importance of that in this notion of planning. You know, and, and the purpose of the planning is to, to have the plan, but we want to be skilled enough that we can deviate from it. And so we often talk about anti-fragile agendas. <laughs> so we want to build our agendas so that like, we can blow them up if we need to. And I, I, I strongly believe that if, you don't, if you're not focused on the outcomes, you can't do that. So that got me really excited when you were talking about those things. So I'm curious to hear how you think about plans, how you think about outcomes, and as that relates to just having a great facilitation. Yeah. So, you know, from a client perspective, I will always say, like, what are one or two things that at the end, if we accomplish this, you would be like, wow, I didn't waste my money on this guy. <laughs> right. Or if it's, you know, my miss partner, Shannon, you know, on Cardigan. Right. So and be very clear about those and come up with a plan about how we're specifically going to get there. And what that really does is, I think, as a facilitator, allows you to, number one, not get frazzled and know that you have a path to get there. Right. And I'm going to say a path because you know what I'm going to bring up in a second. You have a path to get there. And if there's a process and you've planned for it, I always say if something goes wrong, if I've planned enough, plan A, plan B, then it's going to be easy for me to pivot. You know, and so I've also been responsible for corporate events with like 2000 people in the room. And so I'm like, we are going to kill ourselves to try to make this quote unquote perfect. And I always say it doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs to have the appearance of perfection. Uh, but once we got started, I was like, if the whole, you know, if the roof falls in, oh, well, at least we exhausted every opportunity. Right. So to me, the plan is an outline you know, is a structure. You have to be able to, like we talked about comedy, right? Read the room. What's going to work? What's not working? And be willing to say it's not going to work. The other thing, though, with the plan, and I love this uh, concept that I learned in, in school called like equifinality. And there can be infinite ways to get to the same ending, right? So just because I had this one particular way, I thought we can navigate people through the process. If I've done a good job creating space, if I've done a good job um, aligning people, getting people to open up and speak up, then maybe someone else is going to throw something out. It's going to spark some sort of creativity. And my plan is no longer the best one, right? But just recognizing and realizing that there's multiple ways to get there. The plan is a framework to kind of keep you on track and also to get your customer to understand where you're going as well. But throw it away if it doesn't work. 
So don't, don't stick to it and don't feel like you have to cleave to it because I've seen so many facilitators do that. And then at the end, you didn't accomplish anything you want to accomplish, but you stuck to your plan. And that's not what you were really getting paid to do. Yeah, I, when you when you started talking about equifinality earlier, I started my brain started doing this fractaline thing because <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> it's kind of meta if you think about it. Because when we're planning, we want to make sure that we don't have this fixed mindset that we we can be adaptable and willing to adjust on the fly as needed. But also, all of these facilitation approaches, no matter if you're in design land or you know, liberating structures land or wherever, um, they're kind of based off this concept of externality, right? Because we want to make sure we bring everyone to the table mm-hmm. and what happens in the room happens. So there's these emergent qualities that we're there to seek out. And so if we come in with this fixed mindset around what the outcome is going to be specifically, then the session is not going to be very valuable. And, or we, we don't, we don't get the, the deep work doesn't happen that we're going to seeking for. So I thought it's really interesting that, that concept works on, on multiple levels. It's like at the participant level, mm-hmm. it's at the um, at the facilitator level, and we all have to be we all have to embrace that if we want to really get the interstellar outcomes. Yeah, and I think that comes from to your point the process. I think it also comes from language. And I'll give you an example. You know, we've recently done a lot of webinars on like navigating through crises, you know, um, etc. Because there are multiple going on at one time now. And then we're like, you know, how do you talk to your people It relates to your brand? And so one example we'll use is like, do you talk to them like a cheerleader? Do you talk to them like familial, right? Um, But that was when we were talking to HR leaders. When we were speaking to people maybe in oil and gas, (laughs) you know, we were like, do you talk to people like a coach? (laughs) You know what I mean? We start changing language uh, because words matter. And, you know, like people can like receive them. So if, are they all men? Are they primarily women? Are they CPAs? Are they like advertising people? And kind of getting, you know, that understanding that, you know, the exercise changes, the words, the language that you use changes so it can be received well by the receiver. Because that, that's the point, right? You don't want to alienate someone with language as well. So language also is a big part. You know, it, it also... Like I begin to think about like not only what's happening in the room, you know, what's happening to your agenda, to to how you're just even approaching the facilitation, what's happening in the room with the participants, but also what's happening to all the participants outside the room. <laughs> so you know all the all the stuff that they're dealing with and uh, the baggage they bring in, the the trauma, the the stress, etc. And I think that has an element of equifinality to it as well because, you know, those things are going to have a way of resolving themselves and all this lives in this ecosystem. It's like Russian nested dolls or something, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and so it brings me back to this, this thing you mentioned around acknowledging and creating space for these things that everyone's dealing with, you know, whether it be racial un- unrest or, you know, whether it be, some bomb just blew up at, at work. Like there's a production outage. Like people are bringing stuff into the room, emotions into the room. I loved your word acknowledge because I think a lot of facilitators will say holding space, and like that seems that's kind of a very facilitator term. Whereas mm-hmm. acknowledge is like that's a term every, everyone can understand, and, and we just want to we just want to like take some time and honor it and let people have that transition moment because if we we can't expect them to flip a switch and 
and just like throw this stuff to the side. So I you know you had a recent moment that felt kind of special around giving people the ability to acknowledge. Yeah, I was um, in a meeting and then I, I borrowed this from someone. So it's not a Harold Hardaway original, as I like to say. Everyone was, as we said, feeling some type of way <laughs> about something, right? Uh, with all the racial unrest and knowing you have introverts and extroverts and maybe some people want to talk, some people don't want to talk. Uh, and it was on a Zoom meeting and we've been on so many of those recently. The thing, you know, was, hey, think of one, maybe two words that describe how you feel and type it into the chat. And, you know, you don't have to say it, but as the facilitator, you know, um, she read them out loud. And when I did it and borrowed it from her, I read it out loud. And people were like, tired, exhausted, hopeful. And there's just something really powerful about reading those things out loud, acknowledging where people are in the space. And so you as a facilitator, kind of know what people are bringing with them. And at the same time, you know, um, opening it up and saying, you know, thanking everyone, acknowledging where people are, and then saying, if there is someone who wants to expand on how they're feeling, give them the opportunity and invite them to do so. Some people, you know, one meeting, a few people really chose to do that to the point of tears and another meeting no one did, but they were saying thank you for at least allowing us to say this, right? And acknowledge where we are and how that really, you know, is kind of the lens and the emotions that people are kind of bringing to the work, even though we're all there for the same purpose. This is where we are and how we feel. And sometimes just the act of acknowledging something is really powerful and, and gets it out there. Yeah, you know, it's like recently ran into this concept of silence breakers and... I instantly fell in love with it because it's so easy to be silent because it's the safe thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I think in uh, definitely in my career, just this reinforcement of like what professionalism is and professionalism became this thing that was so inhuman. Like we weren't supposed to like bear our feelings or, or, or touch on some of these sensitive issues and I think we do our best work when we're most the most human we can be. And I, you know, and to your point, creating these moments of acknowledgement can get us there. And, and I wanted to just observe something that I've been tracking on whether it's appreciative inquiry or there's a really great liberating structure called seen, uh, heard, and respected. Mm-hmm. And this moment of reading those feelings out loud means that the people that wrote those are they're feeling heard. And I I was uh, recently in an authentic relating workshop and a gentleman pointed out how emotional it was to hear his story repeated back and really struck me because I do a lot of this work. And so I'm around this type of stuff a lot and went back to to that moment and just, I put myself in, in that gentleman's shoes and thought, wow, if that is an emotional moment, the reason that's emotional is because it doesn't happen much. Mm-hmm. So that means that like he's experiencing hearing someone really empathize, really understand. There's evidence that he was heard and that was touching. And if we can create more moments like that, I think we can, we can drive much more business value. But the problem is, is everyone focuses so much on the business value, they can't set the initial conditions to where that stuff can can thrive and, and, and come out. So I love this notion of acknowledgement. 
it doesn't 100% relate to business facilitation, but I went through a leadership development sort of class process. And there was this moment where it was like, what's one thing, you know, that you would like someone to acknowledge you for or something. And so you wrote it on a sheet of paper and you didn't even know why you were writing it. Right. Who would you want that person to be? And so I remember I wrote down that like I was a good dog dad because my dog had passed away. Right. And I would want it to be my pet. (laughs) Right. I mean, I just, you know, um, and the interesting thing was, you know, hours later, she picked them up and she read them. And then I had to choose someone to play the role of my pet and acknowledge me for being a good parent, a good pet parent. Right. To him, because uh, I was carrying like a lot of guilt. Like, don't get me wrong. We went to all the vets. I got all the medication. I did everything, but I couldn't change this outcome. And, you know, as like a type A person, you know, who is so used to making things happen for everybody, for companies, I couldn't save, you know. And so someone acknowledging me like they were my pet broke me down, <laughs> you know. But it was the most healing thing I think I had experienced in so long. I slept like a baby. (laughs) I forgave myself. So that idea of acknowledging and kind of hearing things back, you know, um, I don't know, it's a little bit off topic from business work, but there, there is a lot of power in that. And I think even from an employee perspective, you want to be acknowledged for certain things, you know, from certain people, you know, and how do we allow that to be expressed in some sort of way. So sorry for making a a baby left turn there, but it was really powerful. I agree. And these powerful moments are critical if we're going to like build really resilient, really strong teams. And I, that's the kind of stuff that I think that I'm willing to invest in my team, the trust falls in the, in the rope courses and whatever. But if we can authentically come together and, and be there for each other, you know, if there if there is some weight on your shoulders about about the how the you know the end of life around the dog, them taking the the, the thirty seconds or, or the or the two minutes or whatever it took to say that it's like a very small investment that could have huge ramifications on your ability to work more um, closely together and drive those outcomes. And so, if we focus on the health of the team first, we can have these profound impacts versus just trying to utilization and like treating everyone like a factory and just like, go, 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 go. And so I, I I think that in in a lot of ways, this is the best stuff we could be doing for, for business outcomes. I think so. And and no one in the room picked anything business related, right? (laughs) Not a single person. It was like, I said this to my grandmother and I didn't have a chance to say something else before she died. Right. Like this is like where people were going. And this was like a three month process two weeks, but three months apart. But that's kind of, to your point, what people were bringing in, right? What they were carrying, what needed to be acknowledged. And then after that, I'll speak for myself. I can't speak for everybody, but I know I felt dramatically better and I felt sort of like healed. And I wasn't, to your point, carrying that around with me all day and trying to do that and still facilitate for other people. You know, it it brings me back to this notion of human connection Mm -hmm. and when we held the big workshop right at the beginning of the of the, the lockdown uh, for for facilitators to to kind of have a conversation around the future of facilitation, the 
one big, big thing was human connection. And it was interesting that uh, on the spectrum, you know, some folks were really concerned about losing it to the in-person human connection. Like, we get really good at this digital stuff. Will we ever be able to come and have these these moments we love? And so there was, it was just kind of like this fear of, like, this dystopian future. Then the other side was just this notion of, like, well, are we, are we actually going to be able to do it? Can these tools support real human connection? It's interesting. We we talked about this acknowledging and unburdening and mm-hmm. supporting each other, but it's, it really does come down to the human connection, and that's where we we are most creative. That's how we solve stuff together is when when the, when the connections exist. And so, I'm curious to hear about your journey through the virtual space and and how you've been able to maintain human connection and uh do you have any tricks up your sleeve are you still experimenting with things just kind of what what's uh, what's there for you as far as human connection in this virtual world yeah so you know i mean i'll be honest with you uh, personally right so a lot of my friends will do zoom things multiple times a week but then i actually saw one of my friends and got a hug <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh i haven't had a hug in eight weeks i, I freaked out at first because you know you're, you know just not used to it So I don't think there's necessarily a substitute, but one of the things we've been doing is from a facilitation standpoint, trying to to mix it up, you know, so they're, they're like random breakout rooms and maybe, you know, prompts that you can send people and bring them back in. There's videos, there's shorter timeframes, you know, like all of that stuff has been working, but you're still sitting there right um, behind your computer. So those things have kept it more interesting for people. Also limiting the size of groups. So I know, you know, there are the webinars, but also being able to see someone's face. And I know one of your articles that I think you just posted to LinkedIn, I read it earlier, was like, cameras have to be on, right? If your camera's not going to be on, then you don't need to be on the call for certain things, right? But usually we try to limit because we do focus groups and research as well. And it actually has worked out um, pretty well to make those some uh, make them engaging. But I can't say that there's necessarily like the human connection. I think part of it is that thing about being an invitation, looking for the connection that I have with someone. So whenever I have um, an interview uh, for like a a focus group or or research, you know, do a little bit of uh, what I call appropriate stalking, (laughs) meaning I went to LinkedIn, you know, I read some articles on folks and to try to figure out, do we go to similar schools or do we have, you know, and try to make that connection and really talk about all of that first. So, you know, how sometimes at work, what would happen in a meeting is everyone talked about their weekends and all the things that had nothing to do with the meeting because everyone needed that on zoom calls. I try to sort of facilitate that and I'll do my homework, even if it's something, you know, someone out, I don't know for sure, do my homework and figure out, well, how can we make that connection and how can I recreate that sort of experience where we waste the first 10 minutes um, it just, and I won't, it, it's not a waste, right? It really does establish that human connection and we laugh and we joke and then we're able to easily transition um, into work because I know something about you, you know something about me and it kind of gets back to sort of ingratiating yourself to someone else. So I just try to think, how can I recreate that first 10 minutes of every meeting that we all sit through over Zoom? And that requires a little bit of homework. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, it kind of parallels this kind of researching their their cult- cultural norms, the words they use, mm-hmm. so that if you if you can relate to them and make them feel like you 
you care and you spent some time, uh, it's a, that's a great way to open. Really love it. And I, I agree having that time up front, whether it's the weather report or like some sort of way to, for them to transition in. Sometimes people just need boot up time. Mm-hmm. They've been running from meeting to meeting and just kind of just jumping straight into it. It's not always, not always the, the best. <laughs> and I will say the extrovert in me will write down and uh, someone, one of my coaches, I feel like I've had a lot of coaches in my life. Douglas, but one of my coaches would say, write um, weight on a sheet of paper. And it stands for why am I talking? You, I don't know if you've heard this or not. I will usually write that like weight. Um, like, why am I talking? And it's, it's, a, it's another way of saying hold space for people, but I don't have a problem talking. So if I just like shut up for a minute, usually someone's going to speak, right? Or they'll keep talking or so, yeah, wait. That's, that's another little technique that I have. You know, it's, it's such a powerful facilitation technique just to use silence. And I, I was re- recently facilitating one of our weekly facilitation practices. So we'll host um, free event every Thursday where facilitators can come in and just try stuff out. We used to do it once a month, but now that everyone's virtual and trying to figure out this virtual stuff, we just started doing it every week. And it's been really fun because we've got a global audience and everything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but anyway, I was, I was facilitating something. And uh, while I had folks adding, doing solo work and adding stickies to this mural, I was telling some stories just to kind of entertain folks. And then when we did the critique, because we always do a critique after, after mm-hmm. people go, we'll do a rose thorn bud just so that people can kind of can learn because that's the whole point. Come practice, learn. Uh, one lady's feedback was your stories were so interesting that I couldn't think of what I wanted to write. <laughs> of course I should shut up. <laughs> well, but you have great stories and nothing else should remember the stories, right? That's right. But yeah, I love this acronym, WAIT. You know, uh, this sounds so important. I, I haven't hadn't heard that one before. So what other what other tips? Like, uh, I guess from just a navigating this, this, this crazy virtual world and launching out on your own, building your own company, mm-hmm. what advice might you have for the facilitators out there that are following in your footsteps? You know, I always try to think of any meeting as an experience, right? And so... Uh, to me, that's really important, whether it's the music that's playing when someone comes in. I mean, even when we've hosted webinars, like we'll have music playing to kind of like set the tone and let people know oh, we're about to have a good time today. Some of the, the questions at the beginning. So I think if anyone can think about it as an experience and like walk people through and navigate them through the process, that would be my first tip, you know, for anyone getting into the space. Number two, you know, I would say think of yourself as a quarterback for our company. You know, we do a lot of work with culture as well, branding, et cetera. And we're always like, hey, we're we're a quarterback. We need a team (laughs) and nothing's going to get done without the people in the room. So even if you're at the front, you know, reading the room, reading the defense, calling the next play is really important. And so um, those two things, you know, and I would also say, oh, gosh, um, well, uh, where I said acknowledge, you know, um, feelings, but also kind of getting people centered, you know, is another thing in terms of the podcast. I mean, and not podcast, but meeting, uh, get people moving, 
if you can get people moving, that's fun, right? And so, I mean, we've done things by daring people like to stand up because <laughs> most people have on like, you know, uh, random shorts, even though you know, business on the top and like party on the bottom, but in a work appropriate party on the bottom. Uh, but, you know, like what kind of PJs are you wearing? And to your point, I mean, in the practice that you all are doing and getting together with ideas, I've had friends who've done things from like quarantine kitchen, you know, where like there's, and it's like a random kind of a game. So like, I think this idea of prototyping, I think that's what I want to settle on. I probably rambled. So prototyping is the one thing that one of my friends mentioned to me, and he's the person I call all the time. You know, he's very good at games and gamification and, uh, we brought him in on projects and the idea of thinking, just try it and prototype something and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, scrap it. Right. But sometimes perfect is just gets in the way of progress. And for me, I want things to be perfect. But once I just tell myself, it's just a prototype, then I'm able to move quickly and get feedback on it. And then I have the next iteration And so for me, I think that's really important. And in this space and what I know my company and my business partner, what we've done is like, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. And I just tell myself, it's just a prototype. It's just a prototype. It doesn't have to be perfect because that has been the enemy of progress where for me personally, in a space where you have to respond quickly. So that would be my one big thing that I've learned in the middle of COVID specifically and transitioning to virtual is prototyping. Awesome. I love it. As you know, I'm a big fan of prototypes. Yes. And so I will double down on that answer. <laughs> Absolutely. If you're curious about something, afraid about afraid of something, a prototype can be really powerful because it can give you the confidence to go give it a spin and see what works, see what doesn't work. And um, definitely perfection can be paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And prevent it from 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 trying and and making even making that first step. So Harold, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today and hearing about the importance of timing, acknowledging, ingratiating your participants. Such a such a awesome concept. And then equifinity, equifinity, yeah, is now in my vocabulary. I love the word. It is the con. It is something that explains something that I've known to be true, but in a way that. Uh, packages think it up in a really nice little box i love it and so just in closing how can folks find you how can they get in contact and potentially work with you thank you for that so harold hardaway on linkedin i'm pretty active on there i work at cardigan so you can find us at cardigancg.com we help organizations with branding internal communications whether that's you know campaigns change management been getting a lot of calls, obviously, for the DEI space, you know, as well. Find us there. You can email me at Harold, um, H-A-R-O-L-D, at cardigancg.com. And so, yeah, find me in all of those places. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I was excited and honored when you reached out. Wanted to know what little old me had to say about anything. So <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure chatting today, Harold, and I look forward to talking more soon. Yes, we will. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog, where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.